Hebrews Bible Study, Number 10, The Third Exhortation, Part 2. For lay leaders and deacons to conduct after the Sunday service or during a midweek Bible study session. Hear the word of our Lord from Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, and have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away, to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm, and holding him up to contempt. For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Now with the same introduction we had last Sunday, while various translators have split this passage into two distinct pericopes, this misses the law and gospel dynamic employed by the author to spiritually edify the Hebrew congregation. To separate both halves of the passage and look at each in isolation is to miss the dynamic message intended by the writer, especially in terms of the chiastic structure. Nonetheless, one of the reasons for the artificial split in the passage by translators and publishers is that the message of law, which the author proclaims, is an extremely hard one that has befuddled exegetes for centuries. Luther famously called Hebrews 6 verse 4 a hard knot because of the difficult implications presented by the text. Here, we will carefully examine the meaning of the sections of this passage week by week, continuing with Hebrews 6 verses 1 through 8 and tying them all together at the end. But let us begin with Hebrews chapter 6 verses 1 through 3. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. By therefore, the author relates the previous part in which he discusses the Hebrew congregation's spiritual immaturity. Though he has said you need milk and not solid food, it is time to leave the nest, so to speak, and discuss advanced doctrines. Hence verse 3's hopeful statement, and this we will do if God permits. Though they need milk, it is evident that the criticism was aimed at motivating the congregation to seek the greater maturity in the faith. It might appear at first glance as though the author is expressing contempt for basic Christian doctrine, as though it were merely the beginning of one's walk and ought to be departed as soon as one is ready to discuss some uh, disciplina arcani. But we cannot forget 
that he is urging them to not lay again the foundation of these basic doctrines. If a child can pronounce, Jesus loves me, this I know, such should not be forgotten nor scorned, but rather enhanced with a deeper knowledge of this fact. To leave the foundation is truly to build upon it, as the author will demonstrate in his discussion on Melchizedek. A foundation is that which the entire edifice is built upon. It does not go away, nor does it lose its importance once one learns more. Milk and solid food may be deferring in substance, but both are nourishment for the body. We understand the elementary doctrine of Christ to be the basic tenets of the gospel, Christ crucified and risen to save sinners. But what are the foundational doctrines which come after? The author lists a few, namely repentance, faith, washings, that is, baptisms, as baptismon is the plural of baptism in Koine Greek, laying on hands, the resurrection, and the judgment. This is not to be taken as a complete list, lest we erroneously believe that the first century church had only primitive, basic dogma to work with. There have been scholars who held to such, that the church developed doctrine over time such that the apostolic era would have been marked by simpletons and buffoons. Such a notion would contradict the very things the author is saying in urging the congregation to engage with deeper truths. Now from verse 4 to 8, For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away, to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm, and holding him up to contempt. For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it, and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated, receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. This is the first of the notorious warning passages in Hebrews, a notoriety only established by human anxiety and a lack of understanding in the grammar employed. Let us first note the for in verse 4, the Greek term gar utilized in the text. If we fail to connect the immediate context with these verses, then we will be lost as to the very reason the author wrote them in the first place, and why he put for there. He is exhorting the congregation to not lay the same foundation more than once in verse 1, using the word themelion for foundation, which means a literal foundation, as for a building. If a foundation is left alone and there is no structure or shelter built on it for the one who resides there, then all who are on it are vulnerable to the elements. To build a second foundation on top of the first foundation still neglects to create a shelter. Thus, it is reasonable to believe that the author of Hebrews was thinking of St. Paul's words in Ephesians 4, verses 11 through 14, in which he urges the church to use her gifts for the edification of the body, 
using similar parabolic language regarding children, buildings, etc. Quote, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. The notion is clear. Those who remain children in the faith are vulnerable to the winds of doctrinal disputes, predatory activities by false teachers, and more. But what is the result of refusing to grow? What St. Paul does not explore, the author of Hebrews says quite succinctly, apostasy is a real possibility and threat. The text is clear and painful. For someone who has been enlightened or brought to true faith in Christ Jesus and thus has shared in the Holy Spirit, if he or she falls away, then there is no hope for them. They cannot be restored to repentance. For them to try would be to say that they, as a formerly new creation in Christ, must be made another new creation in Christ, requiring Jesus to die for them all over again, a grave insult to our Lord. This is a stark and clear preaching of law which rightfully terrifies the hearers. The author is saying, if you do not pay attention and choose instead to continue in your stagnation, this can happen to you. But what is falling away? From the Greek root parapipto, meaning to fall, fail, fall back, or fall away, it is apostasy in the sense of a believer deciding to be a non-believer. Or in the case of a convert, like those in the Hebrew congregation, to return to one's prior non-belief. It even has the connotation of retreat in battle, abandoning the way, and so forth. This is not referring to someone in a backslidden state, wherein they rebel against the Christian walk, but do not fully disbelieve the Christian faith. There is hope for backsliders, even those who verbally deny Christ as St. Peter did. Though they might stray, perhaps even straying far, they still believe in some sense, and may return to good standing with God. We might say that they have no saving faith, but they retain a regression to mere notitia faith, mental assent to the historical facts of the gospel. Repentance would be a return to fiducia, trust in the Lord for forgiveness and salvation. This passage is clearly referring instead to apostasy proper, in which one completely rejects the faith that they had. There is a belief called perseverance of the saints, which proclaims that apostasy proper is an impossibility. According to this doctrine, any apparent apostasy without a return to the faith is proof that the individual who apostatized was never a believer to begin with. However, scripture does not bear this out. 
To share in the Holy Spirit is to share in salvation, as the Holy Spirit is referred to as the seal of our salvation in Ephesians 1 verse 13. The individuals to whom the author ascribes no hope are those who indeed did live in a state of grace. Famous accounts of people who left the church and denied the faith temporarily do not disprove what the scriptures are saying, but nor does it mean that those individuals who return to the body of Christ are returning in vain. It simply means that they were in a state of backsliding, not full apostasy. Again, this does not negate the clear pattern of scripture regarding those who can return to the faith after straying. The Old Testament is replete with examples of God telling those who departed from the faith to return to him. 2 Chronicles 29 verse 9, Isaiah 44 verse 22, Jeremiah 3 verse 12, and Zechariah 1 verse 3, just to name a few. And he would not give this command to return unless returning was a true possibility. But the prophets preached to those who presumably would hear the message, who knew deep down that God was truly speaking to them. And these are those who have backslidden, who if they remain in their current state would surely be damned, but the possibility of them hearing God's law and gospel means that they may very well hear and be restored. Thus, beloved, we ought to not fear so, so much, as if you are afraid of being an apostate, then truly you are not an apostate. Even if you deny the faith altogether, Lord knows, if you fear death and hell, and you hear the message, return to me, then you cannot be an apostate proper. You are hearing the voice of God in your very soul telling you to return to him. You are indeed a backslider. The apostate proper, on the other hand, will not listen to this. In fact, instead, he likely has no fear but only contempt and hatred for the faith. And while this remains something of a possibility for those who decide to stagnate and regress in their faith, who decide to live in sin and begin to go backwards in their walk with God, the author of Hebrews then advises us to build upon the foundation which Christ has laid for us in the basic tenets of the gospel and of the Christian faith altogether, to build a shelter against the winds of doctrine, as St. Paul calls it in Ephesians 4, thus protecting us from this possibility. This connects in with the preservation of the saints, not the perseverance of the saints, but the preservation of the saints which he will discuss at greater detail, and we will cover next week. Amen and amen.